Jesus in his discourse, John 15, 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Let's talk about this for a while, shall we? The name Satan has a meaning. And in fact, he is still called uh, with an, an, an H in there, Satan, by uh, the Muslims to this day. The name Satan was actually a political office in the Persian, the Babylonian era, area. That office was given to the person whose job it was to find the unfaithful, the disloyal, and report them to the king. They're, sometimes we call it a prosecuting attorney, but it's a bit more than that. For example, one of the famous examples before the first Iraq war was a man was in a coffee shop, and he spilled, from all accounts, accidentally his coffee over a newspaper, and the front page of it had a picture of Saddam Hussein. For that, he was jailed. Somebody in that coffee shop was a Satan. Somebody there felt it was their job to go report this as disloyal, unacceptable behavior. Now think about that. <clears throat> There's somebody roving, as, as Peter would put it, like a, a, a lion. He's out there watching us, looking for a fault that he can jump and catch us in. That side, and now look over here, God is not sending us a purified person checker. He's not sending us a loyalty checker. He's sending us somebody to speak for us, an advocate. He's sending an eternity, uh, or an eternity, an attorney who's on our side, who knows the truth. Remember, we've been talking about the truth right before here. This is important we get this. The spirit of truth that comes out from the Father. I was raised in a church that was very, very conservative. And it felt it was its duty to point out error in people and all other churches, many of whom had the same name we did, but they were not pure like we were pure. And they would read this passage and say, we have to do this because it's truth. And the spirit of truth drives us the truth requires that we point out the faults and the failures so that you know, people don't burn forever. You're way out of context on this because God is sending an advocate to speak up for us. That is the truth. What is the truth? Back up and you will see, I've loved you, love each other. We are love. The world will hate you, but keep on loving. That is the truth. It's not about how you take the Lord's Supper. It's not about how you organize your leadership. It's about how you treat each other. And the advocate comes to speak up for you. I, I can remember being a, um, a fully convinced legalist. And I was. I was fully convinced. And this is why we don't throw rocks at legalists. We understand that. Some of us came from that. It was, a, um, it was our duty 
to search these things out, to point for them. In fact, there was a paper in our brotherhood back in the late 1880s. The name of the paper was, I kid you not, The Heretic Detector. I think that's a fine name. <laughs> that's, a, that's an amazing name. But there have been others like it, you know, the sword of this or contending for that. And all they do is try to find a name error in others. And they believe that is their duty before God. Sincerely believe that's what they have to do. I can remember being a part of that camp. And let me tell you something, that's exhausting. It's exhausting going through your life every day, finding things of which to disapprove. It really is. We can always find a thing to disapprove, especially if you're looking for it and thinking that's your duty. That's Satan's job, not ours. We have an advocate that helps us love others, even the others that don't love us back. And that's where chapter 16 begins. Please remember, I think everybody knows this, this is the chapter breaks and the verse breaks were put in there by human beings many years after Scripture was written, and they really confound it. They're helpful in that we can say, look here for this. They are harmful in that they break up the flow of the story, they break up the context, and they encourage us reading out of context. I would strongly recommend that you buy a Bible that has no chapter or verse divisions and read it and see the difference. You will be amazed if you've never done it. Absolutely amazed. Another Bible to buy, by the way, and, and perhaps another year, read that one, is one put in chronological order. I, I, you, let's put this out here real quick. Some of the chronology is uncertain, so it's a guess. But still, it's very worthwhile to do it that way and see the flow, the narrative. But in chapter 16, he says, I've told you all this that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. Think about this. For following Jesus, you will be kicked out of church. I can remember, and I wish I knew all the names of the players and the churches involved, but I, I don't. I was just a kid. But I can remember that there was a man, an older man, and when, when you're a kid, that's anybody. But, you know, one, one of these really old guys, had gray hair and the like, he was baptized. And sitting around talking with him, my dad, and I was listening, he came from a church that believed you had to have an experience from God to show you that you were saved. Very, very common in the early years of the U.S., I don't know how common it is today in some churches. You have to have a miraculous event, a calling, the Spirit coming upon you. Uh, think of the, the mourner's benches. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. You know, come down and give me a sign. And evidently this man had, for years and years and years, as a younger man, wanted to, to follow God and begged for a sign year after year after year. Didn't have one. So he made one up. Went forward, told of a dream he didn't have, but he had. They all applauded. They, they accepted him in. He rose over the decades to become the head of their um, Bible classes, superintendent of education for the whole district or diocese or whatever they called their area. He was an important guy, but it, this kept eating at him. And now in his 60s or 70s, whatever he was, he confessed to them 
that he had lied and they kicked him out. And I'll never forget his words to my dad. He said, I had to lie to get into that church and telling the truth got me kicked out. Ow. Jesus says, if you follow me, they will kick you out of some churches. Is that not true? Of course it is. And I don't want to act like, oh, persecuted us, because we're not. We are thriving, and it's, it's a joy to be here, but we need to be aware that there are some who believe before God sincerely, their heart, their conscience is pure, that they must put us out. That's their duty. Jesus said, no, that's the other team. That's the other side. We don't do that. In fact, the time is coming. Look what he says. When anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. Now, why would he tell us this? Except he's been telling us to love each other even then. I thought it was a Martin Luther King quote, Martin Luther King Jr. Quote, kept looking for it, kept looking for it, found out that he did say it, but he sourced it in Gandhi, that Gandhi had said it first. He was a pacifist. Um, Gandhi, of course, but I'm talking about Martin Luther King Jr. here. I did not memorize the quote, and this bothers me. I, I need to find, I'm trying to find the original quote from Gandhi's a bit hard as well. Um, but it goes something like, if you yell, if you speak evil of me, I will love you. If you strike me, I will love you. If you beat me down to the ground, I will love you. And if you kill me, I will die loving you. And I mean, that blew me away. Because I come from a culture that says, you insult me, I kill you, burn your house, and hunt your children. Right? Some of you as well. And God says, nope, nope, nope. Get that under control. You now belong to a family that loves even those being struck, that are striking you down. And didn't Jesus show us that in the ultimate example? He's on the cross, beaten up, disfigured by the beating. Uh, we know that because when he spoke, people couldn't understand what he was saying. He couldn't see what was put in front of him until he tasted it. We know his face was quite a mess at that stage. And yet he forgives the people doing it. Then he says, you do this. Um, we don't have a lot of sermons on this. And there's a really good reason. It's a whole lot easier to do a sermon on baptism than it is on this. You know how hard it is just to get people to get wet for Jesus? And now we're going to talk about this. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. That's what breaks my heart. I've told my story way too many times here, but I thought I knew Jesus because I knew the law. Specifically, I knew Paul. Because I knew Paul forwards and backwards, I thought I knew Jesus. Jesus was just a source of some stories to illustrate the truth of what Paul had legislated. Now, nobody said that to me, but that's, the, that's what I got in my head. I thought I knew him. Got sick. Somebody gave me a couple of Max Lucado's early books. No wonder they call him the Savior and God came near. I would strongly recommend those. I had already read Mere Christianity, which had rocked my world. As I read these, my wife asked me, what do you think? And I said famously, this would be great if it was true. 
because this was a Jesus I'd never seen. Then I started reading the Gospels over and over and saw, yeah, he's been there all the time. He was there all the time. I thought I knew him when I was encouraging attacks on others. So I've been there. I did it. Cammie and I have talked about this frequently. You know, the Alcoholics Anonymous have different stages, and one of them is to make amends to everybody you have hurt. I'm not an alcoholic, but I can't make amends. Many of them won't talk to me. I don't blame them. Some left Jesus because I put too many burdens on them. I can't find them. I got to trust the Holy Spirit here. But I will bear that the rest of my life. But I did it in good conscience. As Paul said, I've lived in all good conscience to this day. And he was a guy that, in, that supervised the stoning of Stephen. So let's understand that the people that mistreat us sometimes are doing it in all good conscience. And it's not our job to be Satan. It's our job to let our advocate fill us. And we love them. He says, I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, I got you. I can cover you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, now, by the way, Thomas did earlier. This is a later on in the evening where they've stopped asking. Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Hmm. Just think about that. When I was up in Michigan for those 10 years, I loved it. I, I loved the people, still love them. Uh, many of them listen to this podcast, and some of them, uh, like uh, I told them, in fact, I said, uh, Ann Cox is driving her kids to school, and they listen to the podcast after all these years. And so, hi, Ann and John and the kids. I told them I was going to give them a shout-out. By the way, do not write in. This is not Paul Harvey. I'm not going to do this every week. <laughs> That's it. Loved them. But I can still remember a period of a few weeks where I got several phone calls from churches asking permission to talk to some of my staff because they wanted to hire them. And I realized that if I didn't get out of the way, the staff was going to be hired off, higher wages and warmer climes, perhaps, and Rochester would not blossom as it should. I realized that if I didn't leave they would not rise. So we had a staff meeting, and I told them, in six months, we're going to leave. We had an idea where we were going, but that hadn't been settled yet. We just, we, I said, in six months. And there were tears, but then we said, here's how we're going to structure it. Every week, there's less of me, more of you. And it went well, and they're doing fine. I've gone through this. It's not easy, but I do know that sometimes you say I'm leaving and people cry, but it's the best thing you could do for them because then they rise. If Jesus had stayed with us, we would not have built our faith. We would not have entered dangerous places. We would not have done what we've done. He had to step back and fill us with his spirit, and so in a sense, he's never gone. We get this. But he's not present physically with us because we had to grow up. Kind of like, do you remember the day you sent your kid to school for the first time? 
Oh. Some of the kids were crying. And you're saying, no, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Then you got in the car and you sobbed. Now, I can remember when my little girl walked out to the bus. And Kara was not big, tall like Duncan was. She's a little girl. And she, she had a backpack on. They didn't used to have to carry everything they owned, but she still had a backpack. And she came up to the step. We were standing there watching her. And it's too high for her just to put a foot up. So she puts her hands down, swings a knee up, and starts climbing up. And I lost it. I lost it. The door shut, and they went off. And I turned to Cammie, and I said, the pagans got our kid. She goes, what do you mean? I said, I don't even, whoever they are, they're pagans. They don't deserve our daughter. And she gave me what she claims are Skittles, and I woke up four hours later. The point, <laughs> the point being, we have to let them fly. We have to let them grow. And it's tough on us. Jesus says, it's good. He says, if I, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Wow, there's like eight weeks of work here. And um, seriously, but let's, let's try to unpack it quickly. And let you work on it the rest of your life. Because it, it, it's, this is deep stuff. I'm not even going to do the, unless I go away, the advocate will not come. I don't really get all of that. But the Bible says only the Holy Spirit <coughs> knows the deep things of God. Ooh. That's an interesting phrase. So there are things going on that we're not allowed to know. Holy Spirit... It's not going to show up unless and until Jesus leaves. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. You might think, well, that hasn't happened. Oh, yes, it has. But we refuse to learn. As I've said many times, if drinking and driving, if as a culture we all agree that drinking and driving is wrong, why do bars have parking lots? Why are stores selling cold beer? What are we saying? We're saying one thing, but we're living another. If we say our culture is getting coarse, our culture is getting rough, and then you choose left or right news channels and feed off of that, friends, there's so much coarseness and hate on both the left and the right. Nobody's running short. We sometimes encourage the, every, the, same, the very thing we say we are against. We put our money into it. We put our time into it. Whenever, I mean, think, think of the, I'm going to back off here. I'm going to do a more non-accusatory example, then I'm going to leap. If one of the royals happens to uh, push out a baby, Americans go nuts. It's all over the map. And if, if a couple of them get married, oh, my goodness. You know, Prince Harry just got engaged, and there are women that are sad. And I'm thinking, you, you thought you had a shot? You thought you were in line, perhaps, somewhere for this? And if there's a royal wedding, Americans by the millions will stay up in the middle of the night to watch it live. And I'm going, 
you could have had it. You shot us. We had to leave. You, and now, as I've said before, I've lived through 12 presidents, one queen, one queen. You could have had this. We were watching HGTV because I'm married to Cammie. And she actually made me back up to look on the, one of the cars being driven. There was a little statue of Queen Elizabeth doing this. Instead of the bobblehead, this is what moved. My first thought was, I have got to get me one of those. <laughs> anyway, we say, oh, that's bad. We don't want king and queen over us. We're free. <gasps> look. She's, she's preggers again, as we'd say. And you're going, and, and you're just, it just boggles my mind. But then we will do things such as we believe in marriage. We believe in sanctity of love for life. And yet we fall down to get to see a star who is sexually reprobate. We know. The truth has been here. We know we just refuse to apply it and learn. Absolutely. When Cammie and I say that we've been married for about 39 years now, people stare at us like we're a panda being born at the National Zoo. Here's a rare event. You may not see this again, kids. Gather around. They'll say, oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, why don't you try that? They may say, well, you know, not everybody is as fortunate as you. Yeah, hey, we get that. We get that. Trust me. Cammie, Mary, and me was not a bowl of cherries for Cammie. There were more than a few pets in that bowl. But we make it through because God said, do it this way. And it works. <laughs> Who'd have thought the designer of the universe has an idea that works? We need to realize, oh, how about this? There were two academics put a paper out last week that said maybe we should really give communism a try because it's not been shown to fail yet. And it costs $40,000 a year to send your kid to that school. And people are. People are. And I'm going, what? Are you insane? Have you read a book? Let's go see. Let's look at history. By the way, capitalism is, it does not have clean hands either, does it? Christianity is who we're about, not a system. And it's so hard about sin because people do not believe in me. I want to talk about belief now. You can believe in Jesus and not change your life. That's not what he's talking about here. When we talk about faith, we often think about we agree to the existence of something. Um, God has a different word. In Hebrews, for example, Hebrews chapter 11, every time, every time, by faith, there's a verb. By faith, there's a verb, and it's a big verb. It's not a little verb. They moved, they sacrificed, they did this. By faith and a verb, because to God, belief requires a verb. Now, when I work with teens a lot, I'll often ask them, what's your verb? What's your verb today? What is it? You believe, so what? What's your verb? And that... I get emails from years and years ago. People say that still resonates and, you know, thanks for this. But God gave this to me. Think of this. Now, we, we came back to America in the mid-80s. 
and I can still remember walking to the bank to make a, and get an account in America, and I saw a big sign in the window. It said, have you funded your IRA? And I'm going, well, that's, that's illegal. And someone told me, no, that's an, an uh, investment retirement account. And I'm going, uh, switch it around. Because IRA's been around for a while, and I'm not, you know, this is, it's still every time I, I kind of jerk and look over, oh, no, no, that's, I think that's a different one. What if you're in Northern Ireland, and it's in the late 60s, all the way up through the early 80s, and then walks the police, the police, the Garda in Ireland, Garda Shikona, uh, and they come in and they say, we have credible reports, we had a phone call in, and they said the, the magic phrase that verifies they're from the IRA or provisional IRA, there's a bomb in the building, we've got to get you out. I would not have heard the last part of that sentence because I would have already been three blocks away and yelling, women and children, save yourselves. Uh, but I, I would have gotten out, right? What if you were to sit there and look at the Garda, the policeman, and say, um, I believe you, sincerely. I believe you. But because I believe you, I can sit right here and not be injured. Really? Well, that's an interesting trick. It's also pretty stupid. We know nail bomb versus flesh, bomb always wins. You get my point? When Jesus says they fail to get this because they don't believe in me, doesn't mean intellectual assent. I'll do another one. Last night, a uh, friend and I went to a concert, so I got home a bit late, and I always lay out my clothes for the next day so that Cammy has a chance to change it. Sometimes she'll even look and say, you're not wearing that, are you? And I'll go, no, no, no. That's, that, that was purely for your amusement, that was. I, I, I shall go into my room now and think again. I really miss animals, man. Anyway, so I, I'm laying out my clothes. Went into my closet, thought about the weather. What kind of day it was supposed to be. Pick the clothes, lay them out. Now, let's pull back. I believed about the weather, so I made adjustments. Well, let's talk about another one. How many of you here have never been to Romania? Let's go that one. Never been to Romania? Oh, good, most of you. Uh, there's a guy in a cape in the back. He, he's been there. Uh, they uh, can't see himself in a mirror, funnily enough. How come if Dracula can't see himself in a mirror, his hair is always so neatly combed? This is a problem. Anyway, I have a lot of time between Sundays to think these things. But, I believe there's a Romania as well. I've never been. I would really like to because I have friends that have worked there extensively and Timisvara and some other areas that I would love to go see, but I've never been. But I believe it's there. Most people believe in Jesus like you believe in Romania. You believe it's there, but it doesn't affect your life. I did not walk into my closet last night thinking, oh, I better not wear that. There's a Romania. Oh, that person cut me off. I'd like to say some things, but I better not. There's a Romania. You get my point? Jesus, to believe in him, requires a change in behavior. All behavior. That's belief in it. It is not faith only because God's never had a 
thing about faith only. The only time the phrase faith only occurs in Scripture is in the book of James where it says we are not saved by faith only, but how we put our faith into practice. So once again, does that help uncode some of this for you? He's talking about a faith that changes you. If you truly believe, I've been there, I've seen you do it. You're at a restaurant, here comes in the plate. The guy's got a mitt on and a towel. Then he's saying, the plate's hot. Are you one of those that has to check? Why? Are you sitting there thinking, you know, I'm in pain, but not enough. I find myself being way too comfortable, and I'm using way, able to use far too many of my digits. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. It's just the same people that will say, ooh, this milk is bad, and someone will go, let me smell it. Real, wh- why? Why would you do this? Don't make life harder than it has to be. If you believe in Jesus and in judgment, don't do this. Do this. That's what he's saying. If you truly believe, this is what you do. And about sin because men do not believe. Remember what sin means? Somebody give me a quick definition of sin. It's a sporting term. Missing the mark. It was you've got, you're drawing back your bow, you release, the arrow misses the target. That's sin. God set up a target for you. Don't miss that. Behave this way. Do this. Excellent. Thank you. You get two points. Those points are redeemable nowhere. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. That one's a tougher one. But if we go to Hebrews again, what does Jesus... What, what, um, wow, what's a verb there? I want to have to rephrase it. I can't figure out which verb to use there. God and Jesus work together to make you righteous. In what way, according to Hebrews? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Our faith before God and our trying... We're never going to be perfect following God. Never. That's why we need a Savior. We can't get there on our own. Our trying and our faith in God, that's what makes us righteous. The word righteous, I did that because it reminds me of a visual, means justified. As one preacher put it many years ago, and I cannot source this, I keep trying to find out the first person, said, it is just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. I think of it a different way. We always worked for small churches growing up, and my dad would always, dad and mom would always type the bulletin, type it on a typewriter. Most of you in here have, have wrestled those. They would type it twice. The first time, my mom would type it, and when there were spaces at the end of the line, she would do diagonals until it hit the end of the line. Then she'd go back through and count the diagonals and type it again, working in that many spaces into the sentence so that it came out even on both ends. Very work intensive. I can still remember the first time on a Commodore VIC-20 where I saw a thing up there that said, right side justified. I'm going, click, you know, oh, (laughs) there are miracles. (laughs) You know, I sacrificed a chicken. I, I was very excited at this. This was amazing. You are put right. You are 
called righteous. You are lined up perfect because God and Jesus agree together to do that when you have faith. That's what he's saying here. And then go to the next one. And by the way, the many sermons can come out of this. Where I know if you want to expand any, we will. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. That team is going down. Do not join that team. I told you before that I, I love Randy Harris, but I really resent him for saying things that I wish I had thought of. And his, I think it was at Pepperdine one year, we were doing the book of Revelation, and he said, book of Revelation is simple. God has a team. Satan has a team. God's team wins. Pick a team. I was in there going, <laughs> oh, I wish I could say that first. And if, if, and if, by the way, you now know that in the future we do not conquer time or I would have gone back and done it. Uh, you can think about that later. Or, or not, not is always an option. That team loses. Why would you want to be on that team? Why would you want, uh, the Bible says, make level paths for your feet. Why would you make it harder for yourself than it has to be? I'm going to brag on my son. I can do that easily. He was 14 or 15. Was, we were going to school one day. And he, he said, Dad, why do kids always fight with their parents? And I said, I don't know why. He says, I don't get it. He says, all my friends always talk about that they're in a fight with their parents on this or that, and they're getting punished this way. I don't get that. And we we're talking about, and I'm thinking, how cool is it that you're able to talk to your 14 or 15-year-old son, and he doesn't act like this, and he doesn't get it. And he said, I just tell him, I think you're making it too hard. Why would you make life that hard? And of course, in my head, I'm going, oh, you know, I'm hearing the angels sing, you have done it right, Patrick, oh, you have... You know, and, and I'm, I'm completely discounting Cammie's input in this. This is all me that did this. But so very proud. He had already figured out, why make it harder than it has to be? Let's say that later today, Cammie makes a meal, and she puts something there that I do not care for, such as cauliflower, which God warned you not to eat by making it completely flavorless and in the shape of a human brain. But, but people still chop it up cover it with cheese and say it's good for you now. Really? Anyway, so here's the whole thing there. We're eating away, and she goes, how do you like your meal? I can say, thank you for making my meal. I really appreciate that. You're trying to keep me alive and healthy. That's a very kind thing. Or I can say, why'd you make cauliflower? You're just like your mother. What have I done? What have I done? I've just complicated my life. Maybe ended my life, but certainly complicated my life at this stage. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't pick the wrong team. Why would you pick the wrong team? <laughs> in Detroit for 10 years, we were there during the Lions' zero years and one years where they won one. Our neighbor had this big blow-up Lions player. Every Sunday, he had that thing out there. I'm going, why? Why? And I always tell people about the time. We had a couple tickets to go to see the game, and somebody broke in our car and left two more. I, it, why? Why? Jesus said, it's judgment because you can tell he's condemned. You see this stuff condemns you. In America right now, 
we are having sexually transmitted diseases at epidemic levels. Hepatitis issues, herpes issues, all kinds of issues we don't even talk about. A couple of them, we now believe that over 60% of all adults have. It was unnecessary. We didn't have to do this. Why are we doing this? And we, it's on and on and on, we know this is not good for us. Why are we doing this? Don't pick the, the wrong team. Pick a good team. Be like Lucas, my eight-year-old grandson. He picks whatever team is winning. Should that change, he reserves the right to change. And I'm looking at him going, you know something? Some people call you fickle. I'm thinking, yeah, got it. Yeah, nailed life right there, buddy. Enjoy whatever's happening. I'm going to do this even though we just hit. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. We're going to pick up with that next week, but I wanted to say that because Thomas Campbell in 1809, when he wrote the Declaration and Address, which was really a document that got us going, in one of the uh, premises there says, we are all at different places. We will always have fathers and sons. And we will always have the educated and the not. But we are all progressing toward God. Do not judge each other in this. And I love that Jesus looks at him and goes, I can't get you where you need to be yet, but you'll get there. The Holy Spirit will get you there. I find on the, on, as I'm driving the interstate, everybody's either going faster than me or slower than me. That's all right. That's the way life is. We move at different speeds. Let us make sure this week that we love those who are not where we are, and we love those who have even gone further than we think they should go. Because we're not where we're going to end up either. The Spirit will continually work on us if we allow Him to. All right, we're done here. Spring will come eventually, I'm told. Come to Tennessee, they said. It's warm here, they said. Enjoy your week.